Potential and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show, bringing you another fascinating guest today involved in creating a better tomorrow. Uh, today, we have the honor of being joined by uh, Dr. Renee Regerzin, who is the first inaugural director of the Advanced Research Project Agency for Health, otherwise known as ARPA-H. Uh, she was just appointed uh, back in September 12th of 2022 on the 60th anniversary of uh, President JFK's moonshot speech. And the organization, it was formed to ultimately support the development of high-impact research to drive biomedical and health breakthroughs, uh, to deliver transformative, sustainable, equitable health solutions for everybody. Uh, previously, Dr. Wegerson served as the Vice President of Business Development at Ginkgo Bioworks and Head of Innovation at Concentric by Ginkgo, where she focused on applying uh, synthetic biology and focused on infectious diseases, including COVID-19, uh, through biomanufacturing, vaccine innovation, and biosurveillance. And prior to Ginkgo, she was a program manager in the Biologic Technology Office at DARPA, uh, where she leveraged the tool of synthetic biology, gene editing, to ultimately enhance uh, their biosecurity uh, portfolio, promote public health. Uh, and her DARPA portfolio was extensive with a, a variety of their programs, including a focus on uh, 1,000 molecules, safe genes, the gene editing technology program. Uh, Dr. Wegerson holds a doctorate and bachelor's degree in applied biology from Georgia Institute of Technology. She was a fellow in the Center for Health uh, Security Emerging Leaders and Biosecurity Initiative and completed her postdoc training uh, at, at the Alexander von Humboldt Fellow in Heidelberg, Germany. Uh, we're honored to have her with us today. Uh, Dr. Uh, Renee Wegerson, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Ira, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. And you can call me Renee. <laughs> Well, it's great having you, Renee. I, I'm I'm so excited about this and 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 about your appointment. Um, I you know I would just love to start off because you know when uh, we've seen a lot of you at the news lately with the announcement and and learned a lot about your career uh, in the public and you know whether it was your time in private industry working on things like Alzheimer's diagnostics or biosurveillance, your time at DARPA, even during your PhD, there was this unifying theme there, uh, I mentioned in, in the bio of applied biology, uh, of taking these tools and technologies and finding practical uses for them. Um, take a little time, just if you could talk a little bit about this theme of applied biology and why it's been so important through your career, and especially now with what you're getting into. Absolutely. Well, I, I think, you know, I always had a love for science early on. I grew up in Florida, close to the beach and, you know, used to like to explore uh, the beach and all the critters that I would find along the way. Uh, my sister was a scientist. She's now a lawyer, but she started as a scientist. And so that was uh, an early introduction for me. Um, she's 11 years older than me. So 
early introduction um, into the sciences. And when I decided to go to Georgia Tech, um, it was, uh, I loved the school. I, I loved the idea of bringing together engineering and biology and I didn't really realize until I got out of Georgia Tech how how much they gave me a lens of of you know progress and service is their motto. So so you work on science not for the sake of science but actually to make the world a better place. And so that's really something that that I I took with me uh you know all throughout my career as many many others have of course as well but um it was that foundation that I, that I think just really it, they I learned science from a different perspective because that was that was the, the core and the foundation of it. Excellent, excellent. And you know, it, it most recently, as I mentioned, you you were at Ginkgo. Um, you know, we had a couple of weeks ago we had David Markwitz on from IARPA talking about the the Felix Biosurveillance Program, which you were the other side of that. Um, so you're hanging out at, at Ginkgo. Your phone rings a couple months ago, and the president's on the phone saying, you know, Renee. Uh, we need you. Uh, we have high potential, high impact biomedical research that has to get done. We're setting up RPH. Come on over. Um, introduce us a little bit to sort of how, I mean, because it's been in the works for a little bit. We've heard a little bit about it in the wind the last couple of years. Talk a little bit about sort of where RPH is right now, where you are, where it sits within sort of the, the NIH structure. Um, and I know you're just getting started with, you know, hiring some of the program managers. So unlike the DARPAs and ARPAs, it, you got to start from scratch with this one, but take us through a little of the background of, of what's been going on since uh, you were appointed this role. Yeah, well, as you know, it's not really a new idea. It's been around for a few years, but finally got traction. Uh, you know, last March, the president announced that he would launch ARPH. And so, you know, much to my excitement, really watching it unfold and then eventually being invited. And literally, as you described it, I was I was at work. I was on a Zoom call and I got I got a phone call, uh, you know, turned my camera off and and Mike to uh, to take the call from the president. And so it was just really, really exciting to be in, invited uh, to to do this incredible service for for my country and and hopefully you know be a catalyst for 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 patients um, everywhere and healthy individuals everywhere and really the patients are waiting and so we know there's an urgency for us to get started but as you noted it, it really literally is a startup <laughs> within government uh, so so starting from almost from scratch so about our structure we are um, we are stood up inside of NIH and so that means from day one we are able to have you know, all the things you need to run a business like payroll and having people, uh, you know, be able to support your HR and get you on board. Um, that was a really critical function. IT, get you a computer. And so, you know, we're so grateful for just those very basic functions. So we could focus on hiring uh, those program managers, which has been our our priority. Um, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about program managers as, as we go in there. But um, the other important thing for when I was sworn, after I was sworn in on October 11th of last year was really making sure that we locked in our authorities that really make us different from the rest of HHS. And so I spent a lot of time in my first months um, with members of Congress, making sure they really understood what were the uh, uncompromising things that we had to protect um, about RPH. And so I was really excited to see um, the omnibus that that uh, that was that was completed at the end of last year um, by the by the Congress to lock in our authorities. And so um, part of the authorities that were locked in there was, yes, establishing us within NIH, but as an independent agency. Um, mm -hmm. And I report directly to Secretary Becerra. And so that's really a signal to, you know, our independence and, and our ability to, to take big risks and uh, and have that independent decision making. 
Yeah, I know that was one of the sort of the very early debates about, you know, exactly how independent it would be, but that that's exciting to know, um, especially with sort of the cutting edge of, of what you're being involved in. In terms of the program managers, though, because, you know, as I you know, had folks from DARPA and IARPA on the on the show several times now, and usually, uh, you know, they're involved in a program and it usually dates back before them. They usually have sort of a limited time frame so you don't get stale, but you're working really on the bleeding edge. Talk a little bit about sort of what you're you're looking at, because I, I see the calls out there. You know, we're looking for project yeah. managers. What exactly uh, is the ideal ARPA-H project manager look like and, and what types of uh, things you look at? Are you looking for them to come in and say, hey, what do you want to work on? Or, you know, here's what you we're yeah. going to work on, propose something. So, so I think you, you hinted a little bit at the structure that's important to know. So these are term limited appointments. So uh, through the omnibus uh, legislation, it's a it's a base um, uh, agreement of working with somebody for three years, renewable for up to another six. And so this is a term limit. Of, you know, it's similar in time as DARPA, but these are folks that are not only excellent doers in their field. Um, it's okay if they switch fields, but they should you know, have demonstrated expertise, but um, also just this passion for solving a big problem in health. And so we're looking for people who can think like a CEO, but they're bringing the problem forward with us. And so we get the question a lot, you know, what specifically are the programs that ARPA-H is going to fund? We can talk about big areas in science that we're excited about, but it's those program managers that from the bottom up bring those very specific problems um, that they want to solve. And so that's why it takes a little bit of time to bring those people on board because you're not just looking at, you know, an amazing person, but you're helping them develop their idea. And we do this through um, the Heilmeyer questions. And so um, as you've had uh, other folks from, from ARPAs on uh, your podcast, you'll know, you know, George Heilmeyer was one of the directors of DARPA who set a framework of eight questions of how do you communicate the problem that you're trying to solve? And this is really, uh, you know, what are you trying to solve is the first question and describe it without any jargon. So the whole world understands how is it done today? What's the status quo? And then what's new in your approach? What's the big insight that you've seen um, as a program manager that you're so excited about doubling down on to make sure that this is helping to, to translate something into the real world? And then uh, a couple of you know tactical questions. How long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? What are the interim measures of success? What are the risks? We've added two additional questions uh, for ARPA-H. And so one new Heilmeyer we've added is how are you going to make uh, if this is really a breakthrough in health, how are you going to make this accessible? How are you going to think about cost um, at the beginning of your program? And then actually user design and customer customer experience. So we want folks mm -hmm. to actually want to use our technologies. That's how it's going to exist in the real world. So think about every medical interaction you've had in your career. I know not all of them were good. <laughs> and so so how do we actually make uh, some of these tools that, that are going to be really, really useful for folks? And then finally, um, the last question we've had is just around, you know, communication. How can this program be misunderstood or misinterpreted. And so, um, you know, I know from a career in biotechnology that there can be a lot of misunderstanding about what a, what a technology can or cannot do. And so we actually really need to be proactive about that. And so that's part of the interview process for a program manager. It's who are the people that are really passionate about, you know, solving a big problem in health, but can also articulate um, a plan of how they're going to solicit and look for um, those solutions and teams in the real world who can actually uh, make it happen from academia and industry. And, you know, in 
2021, there were uh, the White House Office of uh, Science and Technology Policy held a variety of these listening sessions. And I was sort of going through the notes on these. It seemed like everyone possible showed up to to voice their you know input on, on what our page should focus on. Um, and, you know, you basically narrowed it down to these four baskets, uh, which pretty much contain everything that has to do with health. Um, so you have your health science futures, which basically uh, the most, you know, sort of bleeding edge technologies and, you know, uh, that you could think about. Uh, scalability, uh, proactive health, which takes into the sort of the prevention aspect, and then resilience systems, which brings everything else in, social determinants and climate change and economics. So um, I guess everyone had input and you're really focusing on everything, but but seriously, take us through a couple of these, if you would, and sort of what yeah. you see, sort of, sort of the short term. <laughs> I mean, some of these obviously, you know, uh, may take a little longer than, 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 a, than a single program manager period, but please. Yeah, so, you know, absolutely taking in the inputs from the listening sessions, but also the communities that we were talking with as we were standing up ARPA-H. Um, those four categories came about as, you know, really defining a few buckets where we think big investment from ARPA-H can actually, uh, you know, advance the state of the art and change the, the course of a field. And so um, we aren't going to be a disease-specific organization. There's there's okay. a lot of other places in the federal government that are doing that. It's not to say we won't have projects on diseases, but, uh, you know, we won't have a disease-focused office. And so that health science futures is really, you know, what are the tools and platforms and technologies that we need to build, whether it's the next molecular platform platform or the next uh, device going mm -hmm. forward. Um, but that maybe we fund four or five teams and each team has a proof of concept in a different disease area. That is going to be completely the type of scope that that we would have, um, you know, at ARPA-H. And, and even better, if we can show that a given technology is useful for more than one thing, there's going to be mm -hmm. pressure downstream for policymakers and regulators to really think about, you know, how to, how to address this and pull this forward going, uh, you know, beyond the end of the program. Um, the other technology in like product focus areas, as you mentioned, proactive health. So not only, you know, detection and diagnostics, mm -hmm. but what are the behaviors, behavioral sciences that we want to address? There's so many preventable diseases. Um, how do we start to address uh, that and, and turn that into, into a program? Um, and scalable solutions. So I, I came from the gene therapy field and yep. uh, there's, there's some really incredible proofs of concept of technology, but it is just absolutely unattainable because of cost uh, for scaling and delivery. And so there's, there's some big innovation there that we can really get this to, to more people as just one example. And so, so you mentioned uh, almost scope is to cover everything and it's kind of meant to do that <laughs> so that we don't want any, any, you know, audacious idea in health to, to, to feel like they won't have a home at ARPA-H. We really want to make this, this big. And so I've discussed some of these like, you know, product innovation areas, but the last office resilient systems um, is really, you know, how do we, we, we saw during the pandemic, our health system is not as resilient as it could be. And so how do we build resist resilience into that system? Is it taking existing technologies and integrating them together? So this isn't fundamental, you know, very early stage proof of concept in a laboratory. These may be technologies that exist already, but we need to bring them together under a digital later, layer, for example. Um, and so I think there's actually a lot of innovation, especially in the digital health space that is, is ripe for, for probably some early wins um, mm -hmm. at our age. How does I mean I know once again it's early days, but you know um, the the guests for the most part that I've had from DARPA and IARPA have been focused on bio <laughs> on biotech products and okay. uh, brain computer interfaces and, and so forth. Um, and I know typically you know those models they they look for private sector 
and academic labs to work with. Is there, do you think there's going to be any sort of cross fertilization between the other ARPAs because of, you know, they're used to, they're used to uh, working in the model already, but any, is there going to be anything along those lines or? Um, just, Absolutely. Just... It, you know, the, the, the broader world doesn't know the ARPA model. And so, you know, we are getting a lot of interest um, from folks who've had prior um, ARPA experience. So, so, you know, myself included. <laughs> so yeah. I, I came to ARPA H because I saw that model and I saw it work and, you know, really inspired to um, create change. And so we are seeing some folks um, that want to work with us either as contractors or as federal employees that, that, you know, know what right looks like uh, on, on the ARPA side of things. And so that's, that's been pretty um, exciting going forward. But then even, you know, more so talking with um, DARPA, I went to one of the DARPA forward events um, that was here this fall. So, so DARPA had a series of events across the country where they just want to share their model, but also bring in stakeholders that are be part of their community. And so, um, you know, we are definitely a stakeholder. They are our, our stakeholder. Um, we want to make sure that we're not being redundant in our investments. And so, you know, DARPA has a big D in front of DARPA. They are, they are defense right focused, which is going to be um, a different scope than us. But that said, some of their early investments um, by DARPA, uh, there's no reason that, that we can't capitalize on those. And so, you know, some examples that, uh, you know, you mentioned a thousand molecules program. And so mm -hmm. that program was really focused on biofoundries and using right. using microbes as a way to, you know, ferment and produce new products. Um but we are we are dozens of years away from being at that capability with mammalian cells, as an example. And so, even mm -hmm. taking inspiration from some, uh, you know, DARPA type programs um, might be a path forward for for us at ARPA H to pursue those health futures. Excellent. What do you think of some of the um, the other organizations that we see popping up around the world that are trying to ARPA? I'll call ARPAization. Uh, I'm thinking of the Welcome Trust and the and the Welcome Leap Group, uh, which has the next ARPA person there now. But yeah. um, I, when I was talking, to, I was talking to Victoria Coleman from uh, at the Air Force, you know, on an episode a couple of weeks ago. She was like, "No, the, the, ARPA is specific, but you know, who knows? Um, what, what do you think about uh, people trying to mimic it?" <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for, for ARPA-H, for example, you know, we, we aren't here to replace anybody. We're here to augment that ecosystem. Sure. And for for any any space, any ecosystem that is in need of that catalyst that can take those big risks that nobody else can take, I say, you know, honestly, the more the merrier. You know, it can seem like there's a lot of ARPAs taking place because that model just works. Having a decision maker who acts as a CEO inside of government who's able to, you know, take big risks and make quick decisions is is uh, is really unique and I think is proven successful, right? You know, DARPA has examples of of GPS, stealth technology, uh, you know, internet. Um, what are those things going to be for for ARPA-H? I don't know. President Eisenhower didn't know when uh, when he stood up DARPA that that was going to be what, what came out of it. But, you know, we want to create that culture that allows for that innovation. And I, I think as a society, given the challenges that we're going to face, you know, whether they're, they're social, economic, pandemic, climate, we, we're going to mm -hmm. need some really um, new ways to, um, you know, create some of those innovations uh, beyond what we have now. And, you know, one of the, uh, it was interesting because, you know, you mentioned that ARPH is not going to have a disease-specific focus, but I was, um, I think it was the uh, July 2021, one of the listening sessions where you had the National Institutes of Aging folks there. And, um, you know, there's the, one of the a hot topic for us has been sort of this whole area of gyrosciences about, you know, uh, instead of focusing as the pharma industry is always focused on sort of specific disease outputs, can we look upstream uh, to sort of targets that, you know, may not be disease specific, but aging 
impacts a lot of stuff, whether it's dementia or cancer, or heart disease, what have you. Any undercurrents uh, sort of in the geo science, longevity space, uh, any themes that may be popping up on that front, or is it a little too early to say? It's a little too early to say, but what I, what I, you know, anybody who offers a specific area that they're really excited about, um, and this can go for your listeners too, if, if there's an area that you're really excited about ARPA-H funding, I encourage you to think of one or two people in your network who are, you know, ARPA thinkers that can act like a CEO of a program that aren't afraid to move a big bank account to, you know, change the direction of a field and are willing to come, you know, serve their country for a few years and and do this. And so, uh, you know, if you're excited about about aging and that that space and completely in scope, um, you know, I'm getting up there in age more than I was a few years ago. And so, yeah, right. So so there's a lot of innovation uh, to, to be had there and, uh, you know, would really welcome um, ideas and concepts and program managers that come in that space. Cool. Cool. Um Unrelated to, to health, but staying with biosciences for a moment, I um, when I was doing my sort of background research on you, Renee, I, I noticed one of the things you're involved in, you're on the, I think, the, the board of the scientific advisors to the, the Revive and Restore organization. And I had uh, a Ben Novak on the show uh, several months ago talking about their work. And I was I was checking out your Twitter and you have a picture. Uh, no, you actually have a stuffed image of the black-footed ferret. Uh, one of the most endangered creatures in the world. And I was just wondering, you know, um, <laughs> I know you're gonna, you're not going to be working on this stuff at ARPH, but um, is, is that the uh, the creature that you're most interested in preserving? And what, what do you think of George Church's uh, recent uh, announcement to bring back the woolly mammoth? Yeah, so um, I had to step down and on my board. So so I'm no longer on the Revive and Restore board, but, but my... You know, the reason that I, I joined that board was, you know, somebody, I, I'm sure you know the organization, that, the origins of that organization, you know, Stuart Brand and Ryan Phelan, yeah. who are, are huge thinkers on the environment, but really just recognizing that with the pace of change that we're going to have to deal with for for things like climate, um, there there needs to be a, a new solution, and and they're proposing a genetic intervention, right. um, which is uh, you know really provocative, and I, I think you know a, a, an incredibly powerful tool that we we could use in that domain. But moving forward, absolutely have to have, think about you know consequences intended or unintended that may result from those technologies, and you can kind of proactively build in the design of those approaches to to you know mitigate risk. It's not going to mm-hmm. be totally risk-free, but how do you mitigate that risk um, as much as you can? And so I was really excited when I was invited to participate um, because, you know, tools like gene editing, I don't right. think a CRISPR is met an organism, it can't edit, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe even those that are extinct. And so so how are we going, you know, really linked in, in for me with safe genes and the way that we wanted to, you know, push out sure. gene editing technologies in the, in the safest way possible. And so um, it was something I really wanted to to offer to that, that community. And so, uh, you know, I, Blackfooted ferret is a really great example. It's it's interesting yeah. if you're you know familiar with with their approach. So um, you're trying to optimize biodiversity. So we are mm-hmm. we are losing biodiversity on this planet all the time. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's some movements you probably have heard of, of, you know, there's been the human genome project, but what about the non-human genome right. project and, and trying to, to really catalog, not only catalog, but harness a lot of that genetic diversity. And so Revive and Restore is, you know, one example of an organization that is, is really pushing to, to do that. 
Yeah, I just thought it was another cool part of, you know, sort, sort of your bio. And again, you know, connecting human health to, you know, there's much more out there besides us that we got to keep healthy to keep this place going. Yeah. So I, I thought it was a cool thing. Um, Renee, I, I know we're coming up against a hard stop and you got a lot going on, but I just, um, so, you know, RPH has been set up, you're hiring the program managers, anything else in terms of sort of the, the public facing initiatives that are going to be happening in the next couple of months, conferences you're going to be presenting at, places that we can run into you listen to you anything else happening in early 2023 please well we're going to be celebrating our birthday here uh in march so nice. one year since it since the president uh, you know announced his intent to, to launch arpa h so so you know look out for some uh you know at least birthday cake <laughs> um if not some announcements uh and and you know we like we want to catch people up like what have we been doing in the in this last year and and you know kind of demonstrate that we've been we've been really working as hard as we can we know the patients are waiting i i saw this recently we went to for a, a visit to a potential partner, and and I, this has just really made an impression on me. And and you know the patients are waiting. We're really moving as as fast as as we can uh, going forward. Um, in terms of other engagements, um, I, I think I'm at Aspen Health uh, coming up in June. Okay. Uh, if that's if those are those are the days. So I think that's the next big one uh, on the calendar. And South by South by South by Southwest. I'll be there. Sure. Sure. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, I know everyone's really excited about uh, ARPA-H, about you leading it, and just really wishing you the best with this. And we'll definitely have to do uh, a follow-up, uh, say, six months down the line when when things are chugging along. But really great stuff. Um, for everybody that's going to be listening to this uh, particular episode of the show across the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, again, you've been listening to Dr. Renee Wegrazin, the inaugural director, Advanced Research Project Agency for Health, or ARPA-H. Renee, uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and brief us about what's happening and really wishing you the best uh, with the organization as you move it forward. Thanks, Ira. Really, really appreciate the time. And uh, I'll let you know how many program managers reach out uh, after this show. So thanks for getting getting the word out. Will do.